Welcome to Transformational Pathways, a podcast created by Toastmasters District 46 in the greater New York area, where we share conversations from influencers within the Toastmasters community and people whose lives have positively transformed by walking down the Toastmasters path. Whether you're just getting started in your career, have had recent career changes, or you're navigating different languages, we're here to help you build confidence by discovering new tools, overcoming your fears to find your voice, and engaging in a thriving community. Enjoy today's episode. Hello! Welcome to another episode of Toastmasters District 46 Transformational Highways Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Mason. And walking the pathway with us today is Pat Johnson. Pat has been a Toastmaster for years. And Pat, I've got to say, your accomplishments are jaw-dropping. You've been second vice president, senior vice president of the international organization, and you've been the big shebang, the president of Toastmasters International in 2010 and 2011. You're also... Today, the CEO of Pat Johnson and Associates, which provides speaker coaching and an affiliate coach with accomplishment coaching where you help folks create the dreams that they're dreaming. You're calling in from Canada and Pat, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much, Scott. I'm thrilled to be here. I love modern technology that you're in New York and I'm pretending to be in New York. <laughs> everyone can pretend to be in New York because everyone is really from New York. And yeah. and is it true that you actually like New York? I actually adore New York. Uh I there's so many parts of it that I that I love. I I'm a great people watcher, so I'm one of those <laughs> people that stands around in Grand Central and watches people come and go. And I've spent days in Central Park, um, and yeah. I get lost on the streets. Uh, I've been there twice at Christmas time, so it's wow. magical. Yeah. Yes. All of the lights, all the people. MoMA. And, and, oh, you know. yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You are. You're, you're a New Yorker. You're just pretending <laughs> not to be. <laughs> Delis. Yes. <laughs> Restaurants. Yes, exactly. Theater. Yes. And that people watch. Now, you are an ontological coach. Is that not correct? Yes. $5 word, ontological. What does that mean? Ontological refers to our whole beingness. Mm. So the type of coaching I do for life coaching is about who we're being while we're doing what we're doing. Because we are mm. human beings. So it's a very holistic approach to coaching. Mm. And when I wanted to get certified as, as a coach, that was really important to me to bring uh, spirituality, physicality, emotional intelligence, our skills, all of those things together. And uh, ontological coaching comes right close to counseling because we look at what stops us from accomplishing what mm -hmm. we want, what we say we want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, it's those programs that were instilled in us when we were young. Mm -hmm. Don't touch the stove, you'll get burnt. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. bad. That's mm -hmm. good. Uh, the... Uh, stories that we tell ourselves or we're told that we're not very smart. So then we, mm -hmm. we live that out. We can be yeah. 50 years old in a brilliant career, still yeah. walking around feeling like, uh, we're stupid. 
Yeah. And mm. and it becomes that unbeatable heavy weight on us. So that's the area I work with with my clients, and it's fascinating. I love I, it. I bet it is, and there actually is some overlap with Toastmasters and its mission with regards to that particular subject, I've found, because so much, and I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this as a former president of Toastmasters International, there's so many blocks that people have to becoming the leaders that they dream of being or to self-express through their speech or other means that really aren't driven by lack of ability or language facility, but by beliefs about what they could or should be or what they can be. Or, or is that just me fantasizing? Well, you know, it <laughs> I won't interrupt your fantasies. I'll let you have them. <laughs> but your fantasies I, might be better. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I have my own. But, you know, I really believe that uh, one of the gifts that I was given when I got into Toastmasters, because I came as a young woman who didn't have any belief in myself. I had mm. no confidence. I had no wow. self-esteem. I felt like I wasn't smart. And yet I had all this pent-up frustration inside me. And when I walked into my very first Toastmasters meeting, which took me nine months to get to open that door after I'd been invited, it was, I arrived for very different reasons than the person who invited me uh, had in mind. Mm. So I believe they came and said to me, after I'd done a very terrible presentation in a university class, you should go to Toastmasters. Mm. But I didn't go for that. Nine months later, I went in because I was so invisible. I was invisible in my own life, in my community, in my work, in my family. And my own perception was, I had no perception of who I was except I had this frustration. And I believed that I was stupid. So what was I going to say or how I was I going to overcome it? So when I finally got brave enough to actually walk into my first Toastmasters meeting and a beautiful man stood at the end of the bottom of the steps where I walked in and he said, welcome to Toastmasters. My name is mm -hmm. Joseph. And Joseph saw something in me that that night when we met wow. and he saw competitiveness, which I had an inkling was there because of sports when I was a child, mm -hmm. etc. But didn't really wasn't really in touch with it at that time. And he said, I've been in Toastmasters about four years. I haven't finished my first designation. How about we race to our designation? Mm -hmm. And that wow. caught me. And I said, I'll beat you. I'll beat you to your designation. <laughs> and I took it on. And as as planned on my part, I beat him to our designation. Um, in those days, CTM had 15 speeches. And so I did my 15 speeches before he got his done. But that started to give me an opportunity to stand up and actually speak. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I didn't do before. I was afraid to actually say wow. my thoughts. Wow. There is so much to dig in with what you said. But before we roll up our sleeves and really go there, there are folks that are going to be listening to or watching this that have not 
been involved in the constant communicator world and, and or have never been in Toastmasters. So could you explain CT, some of those acronyms that folks might not mm-hmm. be familiar with to us, just so we have some understanding of what they mean? Yes. So back when I joined Toastmasters, the first designation that you would actually achieve in your education uh curriculum would be called a competent Toastmaster. And so for short, it was called a CTM. We had to complete 15 manual presentations of which were then evaluated so that we could get suggestions for improvement. Uh, Usually people take a year and a half or so to get their Mm -hmm. first designation. And uh, so it's, but again, because Toastmasters is self-paced, it's up to the individuals. I I had belonged to my very first club when I had joined was a very small club, so I got to speak frequently. And, of course, Joseph would speak frequently, and, I, of course, we were racing, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I spoke more frequently. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, Toastmasters is a not-for-profit education organization that focuses on communication and leadership. And communication for me is listening thinking and then speaking Mm -hmm. and that was that was another thing that kept me involved because I thought I really want to be able to listen and I want to be able to think I don't necessarily want to speak yeah I love that and it is fascinating one of the secrets about being a Toastmaster goes as to what you're talking about listening other people are going to be giving speeches. And you, as a Toastmaster who may be evaluating them or may simply be sitting in the meeting or have another role, are forced to listen. And people tend to talk about things that they know. I've been blown away by the things that I have learned from the speeches that I have had the privilege to observe or listen to in my club. One just a minor example was there were a number of women from China who were in the club that I ultimately became the president of. And they talked about beautification apps that were popular in their home country and that people would demand their parents or whatever that would demand that they filter themselves through before posting on Instagram or other social. I had no idea such a thing existed for whatever reason. I, I felt I needed to know that without ever knowing that I needed to know that. Of course, I've never used a beautification app, but that goes as to the power of listening and that connection with education. And you came to it through an educational institution. Let's go back even further. Pat, once upon a time, there was a little girl. Where did she come into this world? Well, I was I was born in a northern province in in Canada called Manitoba, uh-huh. and I was born in a hospital and I was put up for adoption. So really? I at, yes, at one one week of age, I met my second mother. <laughs> so I short relationships were very short with me in those days. <laughs> so I was uh, taken home to my. Um, forever home, as they say now. Yeah, yeah. And a year later, my, I, we had adopted my brother who came to live with us. And uh, it turned out that he was my half-brother. Oh. And so I was raised with my half-brother within a family. And then nine years ago, I met my, my sister. 
that had wow. been also adopted, and we wow. didn't know one another existed. So, oh my, how did you all find out each other existed? And and you've got to tell us what was that like. <laughs> I'm adopted too, so I have to know the answer. Oh, yes. Okay, the stories of adoption, yes. Well, because I grew up in, uh, I was, um, uh, how do I start? Well, I'll go back to the beginning. When I was born, I was born to a woman named Florence. Florence's sister, Phyllis, couldn't have children. So when Florence gave birth to her daughter, Patricia, me, she phoned her sister and said, would you like my baby? And so because Phyllis couldn't have children, said, yes, Mm. I will take the baby. And so she came by train and picked me up and took me home. And so I was Mm. um, raised by my biological aunt. And the, the beautiful part of this was that as I was growing up, my biological mother was known, I knew her as my aunt. Mm. Although I knew I was adopted, I didn't know that my aunt was my mother, mm-hmm. my biological mother. And But she, I had such an affinity for her. When she would come to visit, I just wanted to be around her. I wanted to touch oh, her wow. skirt. I wanted to hold her hand. Oh. I wanted to touch yeah. her hair. And I was, I was just a child. I was wow. a small child. But I would go downtown with her and I would tell all my friends that my beautiful aunt is in town. Mm-hmm. You should see how beautiful she is. <laughs> I was totally fascinated by this woman. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so she died when I was just uh, nine years old. No, 11. Yeah, nine years old. And so that was the end of, of that live relationship. But uh, it was it was very sad because I found out the week that she died that she was actually my biological mother. And how you did you just have no reaction? You had to have a reaction to that, I assume. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> was it like oh I I kind of always knew, or was it shock, or was it anger? It was yeah. anger, as I remember. I mean, I was nine, yeah. so yeah. Uh, whatever a nine-year-old feels anger, yeah. I remember screaming and running. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so my brother, who was raised with me, he was also her son. So he was adopted also by mm-hmm. her sister. So him and I were half-brother and sister, and we grew up together. And then mm-hmm. we didn't know that Wendy existed, and... So nine years ago, Wendy found us through post-adoption agency in, in Manitoba. You could search. And we all grew up within two hours of one another. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. And my sister and I, when we met, we were walking along and we were talking and her husband was walking behind us and we started laughing and he said, okay. There's no doubt. You two are sisters. You sound identical when you laugh. <laughs> and, and I've got, did you get along with each other? It yeah. Like Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've spent time and we've discovered a lot of things that we have, you know, the old nurture nature conversation. Yeah. yeah Although yeah. we grew up in very similar sized towns, as I said, just two hours, less than two hours apart uh, from one another. Um, she grew up in a, a obviously a different home than we did, mm-hmm. and a different type of home as well. But her and I love fabric, 
So we went, and she quilts, and I used to sew. And so we ended up in a fabric store, unknown to one another, going, oh, my goodness, look at this. Come, Wendy, come see this. And she's going, Pat, come see this. And we're looking at one another going, we both love fabric. You know, and we went to a movie, and we, we went to an Elton John movie, whatever it was called, Rocket Mount, we sang through the whole movie. We sat in the back seat of the theater and both of us sang uh, no all way. the way through the movies. And I'm looking at her going, you're one of me? <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't like going to movies with me because I sing all the songs and she's singing along with me. <laughs> well, we were joking about fantasies earlier. Now, I have always fantasized as an adoptee that i had a secret brother out there did you ever have that fantasy yourself no i i didn't no Uh, because i had my half brother and that was you know uh that was good i i was always curious about my mother and then when i you know until i was nine and then i felt quite cheated because i was so in love with her and so fascinated by her um but um I was always curious about my dad. That's who I was really curious about then. And I did find out as an adult uh, from one of my aunts who actually knew him that he'd been a professional musician Mm. and a real outdoorsman. Mm. And my aunt said to me, if you ever walk into a room where your father is, you will know one another without knowing. She said, you will be drawn to one another you're so alike and I was in a musical at that time that was touring in Manitoba it wasn't a big production but we were on the road touring and we went to the community where my birth father lived and I sent him a note and said I'm in town singing please come and see me and it was the most nerve-wracking production evening that I'd ever spent (laughs) Every note, it was like, did my dad hear that? Is my dad approve of this? Is it good enough for him? And at the end, I stood with the cast and I waited and I waited and I waited and he never showed up. And I don't know if he was in the audience or not, but he didn't come to see me. And then uh, about probably about 10 years after that, I was working with somebody that uh came from that community and said that he had died of leukemia and so um, that was very sad it was like yeah. oh i never got to meet him but he also didn't get to meet me yeah yeah and it's kind yeah. of sad although when you talk about that framing of how you view the fact that you never did meet him that to me sounds like someone who is coming from a different mental space than the younger woman who you described to me entering into Toastmasters. Talk to me a little bit about what was driving that person that you were, that ended up taking so long to join Toastmasters, wasn't really feeling self-expressive in the world, and what changed? I think that for me, the key was that I actually was in Toastmasters where somebody acknowledged me. I remember receiving what felt like my very first compliment, and I got it in Toastmasters. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, where somebody said, I did a good job, or that was great, or you're really good at this. I'd never heard those words before. 
So that was so empowering. And so having that kind of supportive environment. Now, you know, in all fairness, there was probably, there were probably things said around me that I, that I couldn't hear in, in all fairness to the people around me. I had lots of opportunities when I was, uh, young because my adopted dad was, um, he was a very, very, very quiet man that never said anything, but mm-hmm. he, I knew that if I asked him for something, but I, I was always afraid to ask because mm-hmm. I would, didn't want to ever inconvenience anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I just chose to be invisible. Mm-hmm. And so I never asked for what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, I waited for things to come my way. And so when I was uh, asked if I wanted to go to music camp, I went, oh, I'd, uh, yeah, oh, okay, right. if I can go. And so I went to music camp and they said, you, you, this is something that you could do as a career. And I'm going, uh, they're just, they're just looking for money. They just mm-hmm. want people mm-hmm. to go to their college. Mm-hmm. And so I dismissed all those things because I didn't believe in me. Mm-hmm. And I got all the way to a, a very famous music program where I was accepted to study. And I drove across Canada to attend it and I sat in the parking lot. And about three hours later, I turned and drove out of the parking lot and never, ever went into the school where I'd been accepted to study because I didn't believe in me. I thought, I'm not, I won't be good enough. Nobody will want to talk to me even. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll make a fool of myself. Even though I'd auditioned and got accepted, I Mm -hmm. just didn't have, I didn't feel like I had people that believed in me and were really mm-hmm. solidly behind me. And I definitely wasn't there for me. Mm-hmm. So when I got into Toastmasters and people started saying, you could be whatever it is, you could be uh, an area director or you could mm-hmm. be the club president. I'm going, me? And they're going, sure, come on, let's, let's, let's try it. And I would try it and I would succeed and then it would just, it was like flaming the fu- you know flaming the or fueling the flames and and i was just like okay and i want to try another thing and then somebody my district director phoned and asked if i wanted to be an area director and i went okay i'll try it what what do i do and so i was area well what we were called area governor at that time and looked after a number of clubs right uh, and then I just kept going because I started hanging around with people that were in leadership in Toastmasters. And I started seeing that I started thinking very privately, like it was a secret that I actually thought the same thing they did. Hmm. And, oh, I had that idea even before they did. Mm-hmm. So I started seeing that I was capable of thinking and having ideas mm-hmm. and being innovative. And so I started validating myself and... When I was in my 30s, I had this heavy, heavy uh, weight on me that is still that belief that I wasn't mm-hmm. smart. Yeah. Now, my parents yeah. had never told me that I wasn't smart, but they always used to say, and I remember the words so clearly, they would say, Terry, my brother, Terry is so smart. Everything mm-hmm. comes easy to him. Mm-hmm. And Pat, she has to work hard for everything mm-hmm. she gets. Mm-hmm. So the child wasn't told she was stupid, but she. It, but the correlation was he's smart and it comes easy. So I must be stupid because it comes right. hard. Right. And so I carried that without knowing. So in in the 
in the 1980s, I actually went to Mensa and found out that, guess what? I wasn't stupid. I'm taking... (laughs) I'm making an inference from that comment. Wow. I wonder, I think you're the second Mensa member that I've ever met in my life. I'm a little bit intimidated now. No. 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 I love. It's it's just IQ. EQ is so important. Well, I'm so glad, first and foremost, that you were so honest about the origin of that. A, folks wonder about that, but B, one of the things I found most empowering, and I know a lot of other members of Toastmasters that I've talked to have found so empowering about being in Toastmasters, is that once you find your voice and you get used to expressing yourself out in the world, the fear that you have around talking about the origins of the things that have been holding you, holding you back melts away and then there's real power in that yes yes and then we become we get out of our own way and you know one of the wisest things I ever did when I got to the first level of the district leadership team which is now called club growth director uh, I asked somebody because of their skill with people, somebody I was watching at an international convention and I thought, they're so easy with people and I love their joie de vivre and they were just having fun and laughing and I went, I want what they've got. Mm. And so I walked up to this person. I didn't know what their qualifications were. I didn't know who they were and I walked up and I said, would you be my mentor? I need what you've got. No, That's ballsy. It, I love it. It took me many days to get there. But you know, you I stopped it. this person, but I finally did it before I got arrested for stalking. <laughs> <laughs> and they agreed. That was the gift. They agreed, but they said, it's up to you. When I get home to Dublin, you need to reach out to me and we'll set up a mentoring call. And from that time forward for many 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 years we had a monthly call because i asked that's so there is again so much in what you just said to explore that i've just got to stop and 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 dig and just dig (laughs) pat let's talk i just i'm gonna insert some personal opinions here for you to respond to okay One of the things that I have experienced throughout Toastmasters, and it is a true beauty of it for those of you watching or listening who are not members, is that everything is evaluated. But there's a very specific technique that's recommended for evaluation, the sandwich technique, which has praise, constructively framed negative feedback or constructively framed areas for improvement, and then something positive, positive feedback. And the reason why I mentioned that, I was an instructor at a martial arts school for a while. And one of the things that the chief instructor said as I was training to be an instructor, and I didn't instruct for very long, so I don't want to oversell myself, is he said, make sure you tell people that they do something well every day because they may never hear anything good that they've done and in Toastmasters I've been shocked by how many times 
using that sandwich method, I found out that there that that's true. There are people who live their lives for years, years, decades even, without anyone ever telling them that they did anything well. And so they don't sometimes believe that they can do anything, anything well. Yep. Response? Well, I think it's uh, children live what they learn is a, a you know a title from or some words from a song and i think it's true if we live without praise and encouragement we don't even know that it exists and so we just go along we don't really know that we're missing anything but we don't get that reinforcement but once we get a taste of it then it's then we see what what how it supports us and how it can make a difference and for me, I think back of all the people when I walked into Toastmasters, all the people like the hundreds of people that touched me, whether it was through mm-hmm. an evaluation at a club mm-hmm. or it was somebody who walked up to speak to me at a district conference where I was hiding over in the corner or if it was somebody who came up and said that was a fabulous introduction that you did or that was a that was a good presentation that you did as an education session. So I just kept... On each acknowledgement, when it came from somebody I trusted so that I would believe it and and absorb it and and take it in without feeling vulnerable and that I was going to get duped or set up, that then I kept stretching and stretching. And then when I was, when I felt ready to run for district office, I moved districts. And so I really, I went into a district uh, three provinces away. They didn't, nobody knew me. Mm-hmm. And I was an unknown entity and I really mm-hmm. had to start over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really decided that I wanted to be different, that I wanted to take what I had learned already and start. That was going to mm-hmm. be the new start. That was go. Mm-hmm. And I, I ran the first year and I was unsuccessful. And the person that won the competition that year, the the um, position, didn't go on the next year. So I thought, okay, I'm the natural. I'll run the next year for the next position that he wasn't running for. And I was again defeated. Mm, wow. And I thought, oh, okay. And so <laughs> I know one of, my, one of my views in life is that if that door doesn't swing open with ease and grace, then it's not my door. There's something else for me. Mm-hmm. And so when, mm-hmm. I, so when I didn't get elected the second time, I went, okay, let's step back here for a moment. Let's figure this out. So I was in my brain, not my heart. I was in my brain. And I went away and I did evaluation contests, which I won at the district level. I started supporting conferences and and doing education sessions there. I spoke in some some speaking contests, Mm -hmm. started mentoring, started chartering clubs, doing all the Toastmasters operational things. And then... uh, and I was enjoying that, just being part of the district. And I thought, yeah, maybe I don't have to be in leadership. We'll, we'll wait and see. And then my best girlfriend went in and she was district director. And she was elected and her officers were elected. And about two weeks after she was elected, she phoned me and she said, you know what? I need you to step in to be my club growth director. And I said, sorry, sweetheart. 
I ran, I ran twice. They didn't want me. I will not take a handout. Uh, and she said, well, my, my club growth director quit. I need, a, I need somebody. And I said, you need to appoint someone else, not me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, and she said, what, but you're ready. You're ready. And I said, I promise you this. And, and I love her for, for being persistent, supporting me and loving me this way. And I said, I promise you this, Sheila. Next year, I'll run. And I'll run differently than I ran before. And so the next year, I kept that promise. I got a campaign manager. Oh, I got wow. A rep- I got a representative in each mm-hmm. of the divisions to speak for me at the, at the events mm-hmm, that were held. Mm-hmm. And I got a campaign team together. I had a campaign speech prepared. And I had handouts and I had materials. And I came, I came solidly to be a candidate. I was, you know, a nominated candidate and I won. Uh, and the big difference for me was that this time and the big lesson that I took away from that is that you first have to believe in yourself mm-hmm. before other people will believe mm-hmm. in you. Mm-hmm. And while I was, I, at some level, I was just trying to sneak in unseen the first couple of years mm. that I ran. And the third time I ran, I went, I can do this. I, I'm good. I'll, you know, not from an ego perspective, but I can handle this. This is a role I can do. And I believed in myself and it made all the difference. And I was, I've never lost an election since. I went to international and ran for international director. I got elected the first time I ran. I ran for third vice president. I got elected the first time I did. And those were on international level. So, so that I just encourage everybody to, it's not ego, it's honesty with yeah. self, yeah. that if you have to write down your knowledge, skills, and abilities on a piece of paper, and what you've accomplished, do it. Yeah. Get somebody to read it back to you if you don't believe it yourself, and and get a mentor who sees the highest and best in you. And that's the greatest gift we can get and give. Mm, I, I don't even know what to say except to just raise my hands <laughs> but oh, i will yeah. exactly <laughs> sing it sister so we're going to step back a little bit and talk about a couple of the themes that you've mentioned but marry them together you as international president oversaw the international convention the year that you were president i assume yes and I will say to anyone who is not a Toastmaster who is watching or listening or the many Toastmasters who are watching and listening but have not had the pleasure of going to an international convention, you've got to do it. I did my first one in 2019. I didn't know anyone. I went by myself. I didn't care. I have friends for life because of that experience. And they have incredible speakers there, not just from Toastmasters itself. There was a man who spoke the year I was there who wrote a whole book and his keynote was about this as well. Just asking people questions, asking them ridiculous questions. He went to an airport and asked if he could fly a plane. They said, no, but you can fly this hovercraft thing. He had this whole amazing litany of phenomenal experiences that he had that changed his life because he just asked. And that's what happened to you. And you said that again. And in a way, by building a campaign, 
you were also asking over and over, how can you get someone who might have a fear about asking? I, like you, grew up. I didn't ask questions. <laughs> I got what... I grew up in a very a military household, and I got what I was to be given. <laughs> I said, yeah. thank you, and then shut up. Yeah. So learning how to ask all the time was hard for me. And there are a zillion different reasons why people might have that syndrome. What do you say to folks who are seeking to bust out and ask questions, ask for things? Oh, I, you know, it, it's such a deep question, Scott. We like it, to go deep. <laughs> it, it's uh, like, where do we start on this phyllo pastry, layer by layer by layer by layer? But, you know, I, I love to look at the at the fear that's around that. And we have, uh, we have so many judgments that we bring in our own stories to that. So if we ask for something, uh, is our story that somebody said around us is, because I believe it's somebody else's words that we hear in our heads, uh, that's selfish. Or who do you think you are? Yeah. Or why would you, why would you deserve that? Yeah. Or how dare you? So all those words that aren't our words. But they're words that we've heard from someone else mm -hmm. that are judgmental, that are limiting. And it's, you know, I practiced a lot of time because I was on my own for over 20 years after raising a son and uh, being on my own for 20 years, looking in the mirror and telling myself that I loved myself and really practicing, doing exercises, um, having a Maori woman teach me to get into my heart, out of my head. Like, I, I, what, wait, what's the story there? <laughs> you can't just let that one slip in. <laughs> then just turn the doorknob and fly away. Come on. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just testing your listening skills. <laughs> yeah. Don't. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those multiple people come and go in our lives when mm -hmm. we when we see people as gifts and we are we're willing even though we don't know what they're talking about to reach out and say please thank you mm -hmm. um this woman suzanne she's a maori descent and she came to me after a district conference and she said to me you could and these are my words they're probably not the words she used but this is how i remember it you could be a great leader if you just got in touch with your heart. Mm. And I heard the words and I knew what the words meant mm -hmm. intellectually, but I had no idea mm -hmm. how that would actually mm -hmm. happen. And I, I probably had a total blank look on my mm -hmm. face because I, I was blank in wow. terms of what does that mean? Yeah. And so I, somehow we got around to the discussion that she would come to my place on the weekend and we would spend some time together and she would help me understand it. So she came and her husband came with her and, but she, she and I walked around in my home and I said, what do I do? And she mm -hmm. said, you talk. So I would talk about all sorts of stuff. It didn't have to be about anything in particular, just talking. And she'd say, okay, now you're in your head. 
and the, and I and she's like, mm. keep talking, and I talk, and you know how you just talk, and then you go into different topics, and she said, ah, oh, now you're in your heart. Wow. She said, can you feel the difference? Wow. Wow. And and wow. then I go, mm, not really, and then okay, let's keep talking, and mm. we did this. Over a span of, I think, two days, like wow. as I recall it. And at the end of that, I go, I had this vague feeling of when I was in my heart and when I was in my head. Huh. And it actually sounds differently. Really? And it feels differently. And so this is one of the things that I do in my coaching when I, when people get going, oh, la, 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 la. And I go, okay, so we're just having a, a um, an intellectual discussion now and we can have an intellectual even argument or debate so i'm going to ask you to just put your hand on your heart and take a couple of deep breaths and just get really grounded and feel your heart and now tell me what you think and feel and it shifts it shifts us we go from beings from doers to beings. And it's then about our beingness. Because we're all capable of doing things. But we're not human doers. We're human beings. Mind-blowing. Wow. And so while you can lead a club by, Mm -hmm. here's what we're going to do, and we're going to be presidents, distinguished, we're going to be top shelf, we're going to be all those things, and you run over people, and you Mm -hmm. ignore people, and you diss them, and you make your ego big, and you Mm -hmm. arrive, and you celebrate, and everybody else steps back. You might have done all the things that were on the list to do, Mm -hmm. but who were you being when you did it? Mm -hmm. And you know, Maya Angelou said what? People will remember how you made them feel, yeah. right? Oh, yes. And that's when we're in our beingness. Wow. wow. And so that was, that was a tough journey for me. I practiced that. That was probably, I was, I was um, district director in 2001, 2002, and I'm still practicing that today. So that's 20 years I've been practicing that. And there are days because I have a very active brain and I'm smart intellectually. There are days when I sit and I put my hand on my heart and I take deep breaths and I just feel that grounding and getting connected to my heart. And it makes a difference in my life. That is. That's what transformational pathways is all about. That's amazing. I almost hate to change the subject because that's such a, uh, let's just sit in silence and absorb that one sort of story. Let's just be. Yeah, yeah. let's just be. Dead space fills the podcast for another hour. Oh, and then we wonder why no one's listening anymore. Well, so we have to, but wow, I mean, that that was fantastic. What was the hardest thing about being the president of an international organization? By the way, 
not just any old organization. It is one that's been around for decades and literally is a household name. And then there you are leading it. Tell us a story about something that was where you were like, I, I just can't even believe this is, this just happened. <laughs> well, there's quite a few stories that I could share. The, one of the, the first story I want to share is uh, the, the first day that I was, um, so when I was inaugurated as international president, mm. my son, who was then, um, oh, what would he have been? I guess he was about 40, 38 years old, and him and his wife came to the international convention. And uh, they were uh, my guests at Where that was event. It, by the way? it was in Palm Desert. Yeah. And they they came. My son, all the years I'd been Toastmasters, had never been at a Toastmaster event. Did not know about it. Naughty boy. No, that was fine. We were. He had his things. He was a hockey player, and I you know he it. had his things. And and I I'm not one to say if I do it, my family has to do yeah, it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt very much my journey mm-hmm. in Toastmasters. But anyway, um, my son Quinton and his wife Gabiba. They arrived at the international convention and they went on it to do a bunch of things during the week. And yeah. I was busy coming and going. And yeah. so Saturday night was the inauguration. And so we got all dressed up in our evening gowns and uh, suit and everything. We went down to wait to go into the march in where the president yes. comes in down the red carpet yeah. and the spotlights and everything. Yeah. And so my son's on one side and my daughter-in-law is on the other side of me. And we're standing at the back of the hall and I'm announced. And my son's announced and, and my daughter-in-law. And we start to walk in. And my son looks at me and he said, Mom, all these people know you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes, sweetheart, most of them do, and I know them. Oh. And so we walked to the front, and I had to go up on the, the, uh, up on the guest head tables, and they had said that they didn't want to sit at the head table with me. So they agreed that they would sit with the past presidents on the floor oh. in front of the head table. So I went up there. After dinner, I... Uh, went down and visited with them for a while and then I had to give my uh, address to the membership and so I delivered my presentation and my son came up to me after and he said mom if I would have known you were that important I would have sat at the head table with you (laughs) I thought it was so I thought it was so wonderful because it was it you know, it spoke to how much of my own journey it was. Mm. And my son was off doing his thing and I was still just mum. And that was the beauty of that, that oh. I was just still his mum. And and I was the the mum to my daughter in law mm-hmm. and here I was standing there in this gorgeous red dress, giving this address to the and people are applauding me and and uh my son had never heard me speak before. <laughs> I mean, he heard me speak as mm-hmm. mum, but not speaking. What was his so, reaction? It must well, have been he said, he said, I, if I would have known you were that important and, you know, and everybody knew you, I would have <laughs> hung out with you more. Oh, that's just, <laughs> and you know what? The next so, day, it was we were back to the very same way we always were. <laughs> 
the the glow uh, disappeared quickly. But you know, the one the other thing that was a real learning experience for me, and which I loved, I have to say, I'll say right up front, Scott, that not everybody enjoys every day of being international president. It's a very very demanding role, and none of us are paid. So you know, you have your full time job, you have your family, you have all this other stuff mm-hmm. going on in your life while you do this role, and it is another full time job well job learning opportunity so you're learning mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. and being nothing. asked to do things that you'd not done before mm-hmm. uh the first board meeting so the the elections were held at the international convention were all confirmed and on sunday after the convention everybody goes home flies home from the convention the board walks into the boardroom the new president walks in sits down at the head table at her right sits the immediate past international president, in my case, which was Gary Schmidt, who was a long-term friend of mine. And beside him sits the CEO of, of Toastmasters International, who is Dan Rex. Now, I've known Gary and Dan for years and years. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there and the board comes in, files in, sits down, and we're all sitting in this U-shape and we're across the front. And we're sitting and we're sitting and and Dan leans over and he says madam president it's time to start and i sit there <laughs> and gary says pat wrap the gavel and i said oh. i'm i'm afraid <laughs> understandable <laughs> so i finally picked up the gavel and called the meeting to order and it was like it was i'm so glad for dan and gary being uh-huh. there and supporting me just to pick up the gavel and call the meeting <laughs> now i knew what to do but i felt like i didn't mm-hmm. and um and it was brilliant and that first day somebody came up to me and said well we need a woman to come and speak at this event and i said well let me let me think about that. So now I'm thinking, I'm the president, I have to make all these decisions. So I started running things over in my mind and I'm I'm figuring out the solution and Dan Rex comes up to me in the hallway on a break from the board meeting and he said, Madam President, could we have a conversation? And I said, Yes. And he said, You and I are gonna make all the decisions together this year. I'm here with you. Aww. And I went, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> and that feeling mm. of, here's a man, he's got the inside information because he works with the staff. Right, He right. hears the board issues year after year after year. So he has a lot of the history. And although I'd been in Toastmasters for 20 some years at that point in time, I, you know, you're, you're at a different level of knowing what transpires. So there I am Mm. with a partner and we had a brilliant year together. We were, we were the best, we're the best team that I've ever played on because we both are voracious readers. We both can debate stuff. We both got opinions and we're both willing to change our minds. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Love it. So fabulous because we would sit and go, I read Lencioni's The Motive. What did you think? Mm. Or or I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I read blah, blah, blah. And we would talk about it. And sometimes Dan would change his mind. Sometimes I would change our my mind. 
but we always could find a ground to meet. And we did so many things that year. Like we took on all the new branding of Toastmasters International. Huge. Huge. We, we created uh, and brought together, the, it was the culmination of region advisors. That mm-hmm. was the first year region advisors mm-hmm. went into existence. It was the first year we brought all the district leaders to international for training. Mm. It was the first year wow. we brought all the semifinalists for the world champion of public speaking to the convention oh, so, that really? they, so that they could actually hear the very best. Right. Right. And that is one of that's that's phenomenal. And that's part of the joy of, of being there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So we did lots of we, lo- we did lots of exciting things like that. We had a dues increase. <laughs> we did some, um, you know, things that were lauded and we did some things that were not very popular, but it was all part of the of the leadership and and traveling around the world and making uh, Toastmaster friends and visiting clubs and districts. And the stretch opportunities that were available mm-hmm. every day was mm-hmm. um, just phenomenal. I was, I was probably scared most of the time, mm-hmm. but I knew that people had me. I knew I could phone world headquarters. I knew I could phone my, some of my friends, my board members, certainly my executive Huge. committee members. And so I knew that they had my back. Um, so while I was out there, but a funny story, I, you know, being a single a mom and being on my own and making my own way and having my own career, et cetera, I became, you know, I was quite frugal because I wanted to buy my own home and mm-hmm. et cetera. And so I had this mentality of what I would spend money on and not. And so when you're the international president, you're actually given a credit card when you're traveling. So you're not caught. Right, because there might be um, expenses. So I'm traveling, and I had been—I forget exactly where I was, but I think I'd been in Africa, South Africa, and I was flying, and I was going to Germany, and I was in an airport, and I don't remember the airport. I wish I remembered all the details, but too many, too many airports and too many days. (laughs) But I was in this airport, and I had two—I had two large suitcases. Because I'm on the road for three, four weeks, right? Three weeks, I think I was that time. So I have all my work, all my work clothes, and a few tourist clothes as well. Because we would do um, a few things on the side when we were finished, nice, of course, uh, visiting clubs. How could you not? <laughs> yeah, and so I'm I'm standing in this airport, and I'm going to check in my luggage, and because I'm changing aircrafts, they wanted two hundred dollars for my luggage. Well, I am devastated. I'm going $200 for my luggage is exorbitant. This is 2010. I can't remember. Oh my God. And, and I'm just freaked. And I, and I'm, I'm going, I can't spend, I can't spend $200 to get my luggage there. So I went and inquired if they had a locker because I thought, well, maybe I'll sort my clothes, leave half of it in the locker here. There was no lockers available to rent. So now I'm going, I'm still back to $200. So I phoned World Headquarters and I said, they want $200 for me to put my luggage on the plane and if once i get there then i'll probably have to pay another two hundred dollars to get it home what do i do and they said would you pay the luggage fee and get on the plane and go (laughs) 
but it was That's such wonderful. a but for me it was like this yeah. is members money yeah Every, that's the only place toastmasters gets money is yeah as as students we pay tuition that's our only source of yeah. income and so i was very very aware of where every you know what the dollars were being spent we invest our money to make money um very cognizant of being responsible about that as steward of our our dollars and uh so now i kind of think uh, i kind of laugh because i know so many times we would have gone out for a dinner and spent two hundred dollars easily on a, on a mm. personal basis not thought anything of it yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. $200 for luggage for Toastmasters felt exorbitant. Well, very inspiring here, hearing that sort of concern for where the member's money is going. But it also does go as to something, and I'd be curious to your thoughts around this as a business person. You mentioned in passing that you raised prices when you were there. That being said, there's cost and then there's value. There's oh, yeah. benefit and then there's value. Yeah. Toastmasters has benefits, but let's face it, in my opinion, there's nothing else that is a better value than that amount that you spend on your dues. Yeah. I, I, do you disagree? Oh, <laughs> no. Um, particularly working in learning and development when mm -hmm. we spend a lot of money having speakers come in or presenters come in or facilitators come in at thousands of dollars a yeah. day and Toastmasters can not only uh, give us the knowledge but also allow us to practice so we actually have skills when we're finished yeah. where we go sit in a classroom and somebody speaks at us for a day and we put the binder or put the file in our yeah. uh, way and we never look at it again and we don't have any skills. We're no different than when we walked in, except we're one year older. But we haven't yeah. acquired anything. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of knowledge we'd retain, but we haven't got any skills. And that's what we're talking about in Toastmasters, building the skills. Yeah. So it it is priceless. Uh, you know, uh, Helen Blanchard, who was the very first woman international president, said, if we get out of Toastmasters, all there is to get out of Toastmasters, we'll never get out of Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that there's an endless uh, supply of things that we can learn and grow. And, you know, now that we have the accredited speakers program, those yeah. are professional speakers that are paid and they're coming to Toastmasters for accreditation. We've got uh, world-class speakers, people that are well-known in all the speaking organizations yeah. around the world, like um, the professional speakers associations, etc., that are, are members of Toastmasters yeah. because they come because we give evaluation. And yeah. so if they're, they can be a subject matter expert in their topic of expertise, but are they a good speaker? Can they engage with an audience? Do they mm -hmm. hold the attention? Can they tell a story? Yeah. And that's why they come to Toastmasters. Yeah. And when we were creating pathways, those are the things that we looked at. Mm -hmm. um, we looked at, because I was part of that process, we looked at who is our target audience in Toastmasters? And there were five major groups that when we started designing Pathways curriculum, we considered these. The first one was young professionals. Mm -hmm. 
need some survival skills in the yeah. workplace, need some self-esteem, yep. need to be able to present, answer, speak up in meetings, impromptu speaking, those kinds of things. Some thinking and listening skills as well. Um, the next one was those mid-career people that get get that get stalled that yeah. maybe now have supervisory responsibilities that do not want to provide feedback. They can learn how to give feedback. Yeah, yeah. We had professional speakers was one of those groups yeah. that walks in off the street looking for help from us. The another one was uh, English as a second language, yeah. second, third, fourth, huge. fifth language, mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. And the fifth group was the retired folks mm-hmm. that want to stay mentally active, engaged, yeah. might be now having time to write books, run yeah. podcasts, do yeah. initiatives in their community, run for council, yeah. run for you know, a community uh, organizations, run Rotary, whatever it might be, that's their passion in their time now that they're, that now that they've got it. So those were the target groups that we looked at the saying, this is our, this is the groups that we're actually uh, appealing to when we come as a Toastmasters organization worldwide. So it's a broad catch basin for us. And if you're listening or watching and are part of these groups and not joining Toastmasters, let that just be a hint. And an invitation. And an invitation, absolutely. (laughs) Because one thing I will say about Toastmasters is that it is warm and welcoming. Pat, I'm going to begin to close us out with a little bit of fun here. Okay. What do you think is better, being the president of Toastmasters International or world domination? Or are they the same? Oh, (laughs) well, it depends on how big your world is. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go big, Pat. Come on. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Every moment of being international president was uh, my drug of choice. (laughs) I, I loved it. I adored it. I stretched and grew in ways that I never imagined being able to. Um, my confidence, I could feel myself actually expanding and growing uh, mental and emotional muscles mm. on a daily basis. Like there were some days when I didn't recognize myself. Mm. Amazing. And, uh, and it, was, it was absolutely phenomenal. It was like steroid for me. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing was that my career at work went parallel to my climb in Toastmasters. Like they were going up and I was doing the same kind of work at work being paid. Wow. Almost like a virtuous feedback loop. Yep. Yeah. Pat, after hearing all of this, and this has truly been amazing. People are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to find out more about you. Where can they do those things? Um, I'm sorry, they can't. I just leave on a spaceship and I go to Venus when this is over, uh, where I preside. (laughs) Pat, how can I love you even more? (laughs) You truly are my new best friend. (laughs) Just for saying that. (laughs) No, um, I'm... 
uh, how do I, uh, well, I, I live in district, I'm in district 21, region one. I'm a region two advisor starting in July. I'm currently a region advisor for uh, Europe and uh, the United Kingdom. So mm. I'm on Toastmasters website. If you look under region Great. advisors, uh, my, my email, um, I'll, I'm willing to share my email. If people write to me on email, uh, it's really important that in the subject line that they put Toastmasters or a question relating to Toastmasters or I don't open it because I get a lot of spam mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because of my my career being a coach, etc. So my my email is Pat the Trainer, uh, so P A T T H E T R A I N E R at Shaw. Dot ca so that's s h a w dot c a wonderful so Pat. and i won't give you my phone number because i don't <laughs> want your husband coming after me. <laughs> exactly and he just might he he's right behind the curtain he's probably heard the whole thing and he he wants to be your best friend too i, I got you first <laughs> pat it has been incredible having you on the show today Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Now, for those of you who are listening or watching, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and and leave a review or a comment. Also, don't forget to follow District 46 on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. If you're new to Toastmasters, check out Toastmasters46.org. That's Toastmasters46.org to learn more about us or visit one of our clubs because Toastmasters is where leaders are Are made. Ah, you said it with me. Thank you so much for joining us on Transformational Pathways. If you enjoyed today's episode or got anything out of it, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're interested in learning more about Toastmasters District 46, check out the link in the show notes below. 